Next week, we're going to be finishing up our sermon series in the Sermon on the Mount because today in our passage, Jesus starts to bring the Sermon on the Mount to a close. And the way that he does it is really important because the way he starts to bring it to a close echoes other famous sermons in the Bible. Like Moses, at the end of his life, telling the people, Today, I have set before you life and death, good and evil. If you listen to the Lord, then you will live. But if you do not listen, then you will perish. Like Joshua at the end of his life, saying, Choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And here Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus brings this sermon to a close the same way they did. He brings us to a moment of decision. He's saying, after all that I've said, after all that you've heard me say to you, your ignorance is now removed and a choice lies before you. Will you take the wide path that's easy that leads to destruction? Or will you take the narrow path that is hard, that leads to life? It's not the most encouraging verse in the Bible. It reawakens us to the nature of discipleship. It is hard. It's hard. It's carrying a cross. And that cross does not and will not ever Mix at all with our own commitments to our comfort. Because to follow Jesus, something has to be left behind. So this is just Jesus saying to us, remember what it means to follow me. So which way will you go? Narrow is the gate and hard is the way that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Let's just think about that adjective for a second. Jesus uses the word narrow. Narrow. We do not like narrowness. I do not like narrowness. I imagine you do not like narrowness. We much prefer wideness, open spaces where it feels like we can breathe and relax. Would you like to sit in a tiny little box or would you like to sit on the beach? It's an easy question to answer. We don't like narrowness. It makes us feel cornered. It makes us feel claustrophobic. And we don't like feeling restricted. Have you ever heard someone say, you know, I really just love tight and constricting spaces? How weird would it be if the Dixie Chicks wrote tight, narrow spaces? You'd hear that song come on the radio and think, this is truly the worst song I have ever heard. 
I'd rather listen to Baby Shark on repeat. Let's not get carried away. Maybe not. But narrow is an uncomfortable word. It's a very uncomfortable word. And here Jesus says that narrowness is what paves the way to life. So what does he really mean by that? When he uses the word narrow, what is he teaching us about discipleship and what it really means to follow after him? When Jesus uses the word narrow, he isn't talking about some just abstract concept. He's not even using a theological word. He uses the word narrow because he's using an existential word. Narrowness is something that you can feel. Narrowness is something that you know when you're inside of it. Narrowness is something that you can feel. The road to life, to real kingdom life, well, it's one where you will feel uncomfortable, closed in, restricted, and claustrophobic. Or in other words, this discipleship narrow road is not one where you will be put into a literal tiny box. But if you really want to follow after Jesus, then you will feel like it. Narrowness is something that we can feel. And this narrow road is one that will make you feel just like this story I'm about to tell you. It's 2012. I'm sitting with 10 people inside a pizza shop in Jerusalem. We're swapping stories about moments that we had been in tight, narrow spaces. Because earlier that day, we had just gone and toured Hezekiah's tunnel. So I woke up that day and just happened to look at what was next on the itinerary. Saw Hezekiah's tunnel was listed there that morning, and I didn't think anything of it. So we start walking there, and then we start going down and down and down and down and down, 700 feet under the earth. We go down staircase after staircase, spiraling down into the earth, and we get down to the bottom, and there's Steve, our team leader, who is also the president of the seminary that I attended. He was leading the team, and we get to the bottom, and he's standing there in knee-high water. And he goes, okay, guys, here we are. We're going to go through this tunnel here. Uh, I, there's water along the whole way. I don't know how deep it's going to get. You'll want to watch your head because the ceiling gets really low, and sometimes you'll have to turn, so just watch yourself as you go. You guys ready? And so I'm like, okay, one, this is how horror movies start, okay? But two, I was there to film the whole thing, okay? I had $10,000 in camera equipment on my back, and I'm like, Steve, you gotta, you got to be kidding me. You want, are you sure? And he goes, just trust me. Just trust me. He said, I've been down here before. I know how to get through, and I'll lead you a step at a time. So I get in that water. It went from knee high to waist high. And then after that, we got to a point where it shallowed up a little bit. And I kid you not, every step of the way, he would shine the flashlight back so I could take the next step, the next step, 
the next step. Through the narrowness for a third of a mile, 700 feet under the ground. It ended up being one of the coolest experiences of my life. So we're sitting there in that pizza shop, swapping stories. And then Steve says, you know, it's actually not the most narrow place I've ever been. And we're like, really? What story do you have, Steve? And so he tells this story. When he was young, in college, he and some friends liked to go adventuring and exploring in this cave system that was uh, nearby where they lived. And this cave system was known for having these little tunnels that would open up into these beautiful, massive cathedral-like rooms where you could fit this church inside of it. And so they went hunting for these, you know, kind of secret, unseen places. And so they decided after a while that they were going to split up. And they each went their way, and Steve said he went into the tunnel by himself for about half an hour or so. Then he comes around this corner and off to the side, down by the floor, in the wall, he just sees this, this hole. And he thought, maybe that's one of those tunnels. And so he gets down there, and it was about two and a half feet wide, and he shines his flashlight in there. And he sees that it goes quite a ways back, looks pretty straight. So he decides he's going to crawl in. And so he gets on his back, and he shimmies his way into this hole with the flashlight on his chest looking back over him. And it was tied on his shoulders, so he just inched along with his shoulders for quite a while. And he said he gets about 40 feet back into this hole. And then he felt the whole tunnel started to go down. And he felt his weight sink, and as it did, the hole got narrow, and he was stuck. And in that moment, he realized he's got about a few hundred feet of earth coming down on his chest. He realizes that he can't scream for help because his body's blocking the hole. And so he starts to hyperventilate. And he can't expand his chest. And he's just sitting there thinking. You feeling narrow yet? It's amazing how you can be in this big room and yet still feel so claustrophobic. And Jesus says this way to life, this narrow road, is paved with moments that will make you feel just like that. It's a matter of perception. Don't you feel that way all the time? Don't you feel that way maybe when you're driving in your car or simply cleaning your house and you feel that tightness in your chest? Or maybe you are at work sitting in your office or you're headed to a meeting and you feel that same pit in your stomach. Or you're lying awake in your bed at night and you feel that same sense of panic like the walls are closing in. This narrow way is filled with moments just like that. Moments that trigger our fight or flight response Moments where all you want is just to get out of it and run away as far away from them as you can. And Jesus says, if you want to find life, you have to enter into them. You have to enter into the narrow places. 
and hard is the way. So the question becomes, what makes that path to life so narrow? What is it that actually creates these narrow moments? We have to see what Jesus says in context. He just said in verse 12, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. For this is the law and all of the prophets. That's just Jesus' way of saying everything comes down to this. After all I've said in the Sermon on the Mount, you want the cliff notes? Here it is. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then he says, so enter by the narrow gate. Enter the narrow gate. So in light of that, if we hold these two ideas together, what makes the path to life so narrow is relationships. Relationships is what makes the walls feel like they're closing in. It's what creates those moments that you want to escape. This path to life is narrow because of how Jesus calls us to live towards others and towards the world around us. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. There's no disclaimers that come after that verse. There's no amendment to it. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's a call to a way of life that isn't characterized by self-protection or self-interest. It's one that's characterized by the narrow reality of serving the needs of others and looking after their well-being at your own expense. It's caring about the good of another regardless of how you feel, regardless of what they've done to you, and regardless of what you're going to get out of it. This is the narrow way. Jesus is summarizing our faith for us. He's telling us the foundation of a life that's pleasing to God. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. That's just a paraphrase of what Jesus says elsewhere. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's in relationships that you will most feel the weight and narrowness of following Jesus. You don't feel the weight and narrowness of following Jesus when it's time to read your Bible and maybe get up early, right? We don't feel the weight and narrowness of really following Jesus just because we have to give up a little bit of time or a little bit of money. The place that you will feel the weight of following after him most in the most narrow way is in your posture towards others and towards the world around you. Because yet... As we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, have you noticed that Jesus has been talking this whole time about that relational posture towards God and towards others from start to finish? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are you when you are reviled by others for my name's sake. You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Don't be angry with your brother. 
Don't look at another with lustful intent. Don't speak falsely to others. Don't retaliate against the one who wrongs you. Love your enemy and pray for them. Give to the needy. Learn to call your God Father. Don't live for the approval and the applause of everyone around you. Don't be anxious about your circumstances because your Father loves you. Don't judge others and hold them in contempt. Do you hear it? Over and over and over again, Jesus has talked about a life that's pleasing to God through all of the relational arenas of life, through our relationships with others, whether that's your brother, whether that's your sister, your neighbor, your enemy, or your God. He's been talking about your entire orientation to the world around you and everyone in it, and he summarizes it with do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat them as yourself. This is the narrow way. This is the only way that you will find life. And if you think about it, there's nothing quite like relationships to make us feel narrow and claustrophobic. Have you ever been in a big room at a party or an event, but then when a certain person walks in the door, the room gets really small. It feels claustrophobic and you just want to get out. Or the narrowness of feeling all of your insecurities around a new group of people and you feel that pressure around you to perform. Or feeling that weight on your chest on Sunday night because you've got to meet with your boss on Monday morning. The way your home can feel claustrophobic in a rough season with your spouse. Feeling like you're trapped somehow inside the anger of another person who might be upset with you or worrying about what they think of you. They're coming home after a long day at work and the needs of your family meet your emptiness and it feels like you can't breathe. Or how your skin crawls when you see others being nice to that person who hurt you and disregarded you. Or knowing you have a friend or a family member that you have to confront and that fear of man feels so suffocating. Or just the simple way that life circumstances can feel like a hundred feet of earth weighing down on your chest. And we feel trapped, we feel alone, and we feel like no one can hear us, even God. Narrowness is something that you can feel. Jesus is saying that these are the narrow moments that pave the narrow way. Moments where every impulse within you wants to run. Moments where you'll feel trapped. Moments that will fan your coping mechanisms. Moments that will feed on your desire to just numb out and dissociate and not think about it or just fly off into a rage to make it all go away. Moments that are going to create anxiety 
Moments you're going to fan those fears and put that pit in your stomach and that tightness in your chest. It's in relationships that you will feel the weight and the narrowness of following Jesus. And do you see how this challenges how we view discipleship? Do you see how it challenges how we view discipleship and what we think it means to actually follow Jesus? Because I think if we're honest, Jesus talks about our spiritual lives and real life completely differently than we do. Because look, it's easy for us to evaluate how we're doing spiritually based on behaviors that don't involve others at all. So if we think about how we're doing spiritually, we think about how, well, how much am I reading the Bible? How often do I pray if our church attendance is regular enough or if we are giving of our tithes and our offerings and we just kind of think about our spiritual lives based on that old Sunday school nursery rhyme. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. And those are all really good and necessary things. But simply doing those things is not how Jesus talks about the true, te true test of real kingdom life. Because all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he has assumed that those things are already happening. He says, when you pray, when you fast, when you give. But he talks about all of those things in terms of your relationship with God and with others. He talks about your devotional life relationally. Because you can still do all of those things and still be controlled by anger, still be governed by lust and judgmentalism and people-pleasing and vengeance and an argumentative, critical spirit. You could have the Bible memorized, and yet the Christian quality of your relationships is bankrupt. You could pray every day and still be just as anxious every day. You could be the top giver, and yet you still do not grow, grow, grow. Why? Because you run from all the narrow places. You run from all of those places where it gets hard. When love costs you something that you don't want to pay. When forgiveness feels like death. When asking for forgiveness feels like losing the war when you're inconvenienced, when you're wronged. These are the moments that pave the narrow way. So do you hear how Jesus talks about it? Do you hear how he talks about how your devotional life is not an end in, uh, in and of itself? Your devotional life is what helps you step into those narrow places so that you would know his word about what it means about this situation so you'd be guided by it, so that you remember in those anxious moments you have a Father in heaven who loves you, and to live by that word, to let that word get into your heart, and to bear the fruit of a different kind of person in the difficult circumstances of life. The other option is we just run from all those narrow places, and we wonder why we don't find it. Why we don't find life. You know, isn't it strange how we can take this faith that's summarized relationally as love God and love others. 
And when we evaluate how we're doing in our faith, we are so quick to cut relationships and God and others out. We can take this relational faith and measure how we're doing in non-relational terms. But Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is teaching us and challenging us to rethink how we evaluate our lives, how we evaluate a life that is truly pleasing to God and what it means to really follow after Jesus. Because what he's taught us should produce an entirely different set of questions. Is my heart growing less angry and reactive towards others? Am I less controlled by lust? Am I more true to my word and honest with others? Can I speak the truth even when I'm scared? Do my circumstances drive me towards God or just deeper into my addictions? Am I less judgmental and critical of others or more gracious towards them? Am I more patient? Am I more self-controlled? Have I learned to call God Father and become less worried and less anxious about all the circumstances and situations of life? Am I quicker to forgive? Am I quicker to be generous? Am I quicker to sacrifice? Have I learned to treat others the way I want them to treat me? Have I learned to follow Jesus in all of those hard and narrow places? Have I learned to follow Jesus where his words collide with my world? That's the real test. But let's not forget, Jesus says there's another path you can take. It's an easy one. The wide path is easy and feels free, but it all leads to destruction. It leads to death. Because on that wide path, instead of being oriented towards others, it orients you towards yourself. My needs, my wants, my convenience becomes the headline by which you live and everybody else too. The wide path is easy because it's where we decide the terms of all of our relationships. It's paved too. It's paved with the stones of self-importance, the stones of self-promotion and self-protection. It's the path that says your, your anger will always be justified because everybody else is always the problem anyways. It uses others to elevate their status and to navigate relationships like stepping stones. It never asks for forgiveness because of what they did. It never gives forgiveness because of what they did. It's where the one who was hurt in their past keeps everyone at arm's length and at a distance because people are really dangerous and you don't really need them anyway. It's where judgmentalism towards others hides that insecurity and self-contempt. It's where you never really listen to someone. You never really ask how they're doing. And you never really know anybody. The wide path is easy because it never requires anything of you. It requires everything of everybody else. And the golden rule is not about being good little boys and good little girls. It is not a nursery rhyme. It is not Jesus' version of a road to a better you. 
It is not seven habits of spiritually healthy people. For Jesus, your relational posture to the world is an issue of life and death. That's the terms that he describes it in. He puts two paths before us. One leads to life. The other leads to death. And that should tell us how seriously Jesus takes this. It shows and adds so much significance to every little disagreement with your spouse or that hurt from a friend or that disappointment and tension with a family member to those fear of the fearful moments of being before others, whether it's a coworker or a neighbor, to all those narrow moments that life throws at us. How you engage in those moments is an issue of life and death because those moments show the path that you've chosen to take. And we don't give those moments that kind of significance, do we? We don't think about them in the terms that Jesus places them inside. So why don't we give them that kind of significance? And why does Jesus actually give all those moments that kind of weight and top-notch, top-level, end-all, be-all, life-and-death significance? It's because this whole time in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been teaching us how to be like God. All of this is him teaching us what it means to live according to the character and the nature of God. And so, of course, when we choose to go our own way, we're not just going down the wide path with a little bit of rebellion. It's a fundamental rejection of who God is. And that, friends, is an issue of life and death. And yet at the same time, don't, don't miss how much significance Jesus gives to all of those places in your life that we so quickly forget about. He gives significance and meaning to every interaction Every hello, how was your day from your spouse? Every inconvenience, every moment you're wronged, every argument, every harsh word spoken to you, every time you're rejected, every worrisome circumstance, every disappointment and fearful moment. You don't have to run from those things. Jesus is saying that you do not have to run, to run away, but fight to enter into those moments. And follow after him. Fight to enter into that narrow space. It's a place that you don't want to go. But it's actually the only way you'll live. My grandfather was in World War II. He was a GI. He was a part of the 145th Division. He was a Thunderbird Company A. His first combat experience was in North Africa, and after that campaign ended, he got an all-expense-paid trip to the invasion of Europe and southern Italy. And the place that he was sent was called Anzio on the southern shoreline. And by the time that the Allied forces turned all their attention to Europe, the Germans were incredibly entrenched and particularly at Anzio, the Germans were entrenched high up in the mountains and down in the, hill, and down in the lower hills. Fifty cows just lining the mountains. 
And so to send all those Americans there was a death march. But they had to break through if they were going to get into Europe. And so when the battle began, they threw everything they had at the Germans, and the Germans threw everything they had back. The Germans hit them so hard that all of the Americans, the soldiers, had to retreat. They started running back to the beach, running back to the shoreline. But they were just sitting ducks out there in the wide open space. And as they're all running down the beach towards the water, my grandfather said his commanding officer started running across the beach. And he was yelling, fight or swim, boys. It's a long swim home. Fight or swim. Fight or swim. So he rallied all of them together. And they found the only cover they could find, which was a railroad track that ran along the shore. They crawled up to it. And they started digging out the railroad ties. And they pulled them out. And they crawled underneath the tracks. And that's where they fought. And that's when they took Anzio. Sometimes when you are in a life and death situation, it really is the narrow place that will save you. And the one who invites you into that narrow space is the one who traveled the most narrow road and crawled into the deepest, darkest tunnel of all. Jesus lived this very passage in a way, friends, that you and I never will. He walked through the narrow gates of the city walls and he went outside the city and he entered into a tunnel that was lined with the crowds of people hurling all their mocks and insults and taunts. All the while, he felt that claustrophobic weight of that cross on his back and a loneliness that I will never know. He walked that narrow way. He crawled on that narrow cross. And then he was constricted by those nails in his hands and his feet. He felt the weight on his chest as he struggled to breathe. And before he entered into death, he embodied the very grace and others-oriented relational heart of God. Because amidst all that, he looked at the thief on the cross and he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Don't be afraid. This tunnel leads to a cathedral of everlasting life. Then he looked at those he loved and those he cared about. And he cared about their welfare. And he said, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Find each other. And then he looked out over the crowds and mercy and compassion and forgiveness filled his heart. And he said, father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And he entered into that tunnel of death that opened up into paradise. 
but he came back for you. He came back for you. That's why you're here. And narrowness is coming for you. It won't be long now. And you'll find yourself in what feels like a tunnel and that narrowness will start to close in and feel like you're being swallowed up. And you'll want to run. You'll want to defend yourself or retaliate or cut someone off in your heart or embrace that addiction to cope or judge or hate or revile or self-protect or self-promote or self-medicate. You want to run and take flight to wherever it is that makes you feel wide and open. But friends, that way is death. Because that's not where Jesus is. He's standing at the entrance of that tunnel, inviting you into that narrow space to follow him into it. He's the one that says to you, this tunnel really does lead to something so beautiful, but you just can't see it right now. It offers more freedom than going back the way you came. So don't be afraid. Don't run. Because I've been down here before. And I know the way through it. And I will lead you one step at a time. Fighter swim, Redeemer Rockwall. Fighter swim. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you grab our hearts and pull them down the narrow way? Help us to be more like, help us to desire to be more like you than we want to be ourselves. We ask that you would help us to recognize those narrow moments. Help us to see those moments where we want to go our own way and choose that wide path, and we miss you. And to miss you is to miss life. Help us to enter into those moments knowing you are with us. We ask that we would be willing to enter into those narrow spaces to love the way that you called us to love. Would you allow us to enter into that narrow space to forgive where we need to forgive, to be forgiven where we need to be forgiven? Would you allow us as husbands and wives to walk that narrow road together, to prefer one another, to care about the needs of one another. Help us to be parents that invite our children down that narrow way. Whether they are grown or born yesterday, might we invite them on that way to life and give an example of what that even looks like. Wrestle our hands from our own self-importance. And we need a courage that we cannot muster. We need a strength that we do not possess. And so we ask that we would find all of that in the grace that is offered to us at this table. Strengthen us for the journey ahead and for the steps that we must take. We ask all this for the glory of Christ and the life of the world. Amen.